The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I am Molly Balin. And I am Eric Deutsch. Yay! <laughs> Welcome back! <laughs> I made it. Minute two. We made it! <laughs> minute two! <laughs> are we done yet? <laughs> so, here we are in minute two, and we're continuing on with credits. Uh, this minute starts out with a credit for Ernest Borgnine and ends with production designer Joe Alves, or Alves? I'm not sure. Alves. Uh, Alves. 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 Alvis is awesome. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna vote for that. Uh, so yay, welcome to one. Yay, welcome to minute two. <laughs> we mentioned yesterday. Uh, we'll leave the big discussion of the actors when they show up in the movie. So uh, we're we're not gonna talk about any of the actors' names uh, in this minute. Sorry, if if you were hoping for that, you get nothing. <laughs> Crew only for you for the next few minutes. Uh, we promise, though. We we know we know this. We know the first week's always tough with any of these movies by minutes, folks. We're we're bringing you as exciting stuff as we can, as opening minutes, opening credits can be. Next week, there's going to be action. Stuff's going to happen. In today's episode, we we get uh, some exciting stuff because we're going to talk about the main theme song, that's of course started in yesterday's minute and continues into this minute. And I love this song. It has been stuck in my head ever since I decided I wanted to do this movie as a movie by minute. It just plays in a loop over and over in my brain and I can't get it out. But I don't find myself minding because I absolutely love this song. It is appropriately called Main Title. I know that that's incredible that the song during the credits has that title. In addition to just, you know, how this song is a perfect setup for the movie. It just sounds dystopian. It's got a, you know, a depressing feel to it. But interestingly enough... This was the last song actually written for the soundtrack. John Carpenter, as we mentioned yesterday, he he does all the music for his own movies. And uh, Alan Howarth worked with Carpenter on the score. As we'll get into in a few episodes, this movie actually was supposed to start with a scene that has Snake robbing a bank. So the score was written with the movie, with the music for that scene as the opening music. However, that scene was cut. And so they suddenly needed a new song to open the movie. And so they then wrote this song. I have a question. <laughs> because I think if, if someone's going to get into a bank and they're going to rob it, right? I would expect something a little bit more up and a little bit exciting. So I can see if maybe he got caught. Maybe if this is the music that was associated with that, perhaps he was too slow to actually pull off that particular heist, I would say. This just doesn't seem like... I mean, it fits amazing for the opening. And I agree. Like, I totally, I totally love it. But I cannot picture this matching a bank heist i don't right. know and it, and it wasn't it was there's a, it was a completely <laughs> different song yeah it was a completely different song for that scene and so once they cut that uh, you know it's like oh well that song with that scene isn't there anymore well we need something else to open up this movie here oh that's hilarious i yeah. totally thought they used this title this music <laughs> for that oh, scene i thought oh, that's no, what you were no. saying and yeah, i was like is- this yeah. totally doesn't seem appropriate for that at all. You're like, yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> it would be very strange. Yeah. Unless they're just walking very slowly, uh, you know, yeah. 
listen to the words, Molly. No, I, I, yeah, that totally makes sense that they had to come up with something more appropriate for a main title. And yeah, I agree. I, uh, I really appreciate this actually. I mean, I love synth. I love 80 synth. God help me. Uh, and I feel like this is a, a, a prime and actually it's kind of cutting edge when you think about like 80s synth, like this is the early 80s. This isn't even, you know, like mid 80s peak of synthesizer. This is pretty early on. So dude really had his finger on the pulse of uh, of music at the time. Yes, this is actually one of the first movies to heavily feature a synth and a drum machine. And you're right. It's like looking back now. Welcome to the 80s with this soundtrack and this song. And it has a little bit of that science fiction 80s feel that we now associate. Like this, this is the template for that. This is the the origins of the vaporwave. This is it. <laughs> yeah, there are two other theme songs that this theme song evokes for me. Uh, to me, it is similar to the Terminator theme. Mm -hmm. uh, which, of course, is also dystopian. Do you remember the TV show on HBO, The Hitchhiker? No, I never remember saw that. that. It's a, it, was, it was on HBO in the 80s. I was definitely way too young to be watching it, but it, it was a, an anthology show. It, it wasn't set in the future, but it was, you know, sort of creepy, Twilight zone -y kind of more adult-themed fare. You know, go to YouTube and Google Hitchhiker theme song. It's, it's a similar vibe to that as well. You mentioned that you had HBO as a kid, and I have to say, I was really jealous because, like, we didn't get cable till I was like 14, and like, still to this day, like, <laughs> getting a premium channel. Like, I ha I own HBO now. I own HBO, but it's still like, ooh, I'm paying for like pre premium cable. You know, it's it seems like a it's a it's a real luxury. Yeah, no, my parents uh, they got HBO early on. I definitely was watching a lot of our movies at way too young of an age because my parents just they just did not really monitor my my and my sister's uh, tv viewing so yeah <laughs> i was watching escape from new york and the hitchhiker and blame it on rio at way too young of an age it's kind of awesome <laughs> <laughs> see i saw phantasm speaking of movies that are related uh in the, in the production family i saw phantasm at like age nine. Oh boy not advised <laughs> let me say no that movie still scares the shit out of me today my God, it's really like, I mean, next to The Exorcist, honestly, Phantasm really is the most terrifying movie I think I've ever seen. So side digression. But yeah, yeah. I, I wish I uh, getting like awesome cable was such a treat to go over to other kids houses and you were that kid. So <laughs> be proud. <laughs> Looking at the soundtrack as a whole, uh, just if anyone's playing along at home, we're going to be referring to the 2000 remastered edition of the soundtrack because it's more complete. The original soundtrack that came out only had about maybe half of the music in the movie. So because we're getting so deep into this movie, we want to make sure we cover all the songs. So uh, the in a remastered version of the soundtrack came out in 2000. So that's what we're going to be referring to throughout. As we mentioned, uh, John Carpenter does his own stuff. So he did the keyboards, all the synthesizers, the production of the soundtrack. We touched on this briefly yesterday about how we like the music that he does for his movies. And I feel like his his music is very simple but it's very effective. Mention how this theme has been running through my head in a never ending loop for several months now. And it's really just like, it's so, you know, it's about a 10 second loop that's just kind of repeats over and over again, but it, it does the job and it makes, you know, the other themes of his that I personally uh, really enjoy. There's the opening theme to the movie vampires, very similar. Mm -hmm. It's like 10 seconds of the same thing over and over again, but it just sets such a perfect mood for a vampire movie uh, and they live as well. It just kind of shows you don't have to go nuts with overproduction, 
and you know having seven different feels within a song and jumping all over the place you know if if it if something is hitting the tone right just stick with it and just keep it simple i agree i think this is highly effective i think this sets the tone really well it's strange to think that synthesizer would be associated with something gritty but i think that it really does i think you know because it's digital and i think also because just when this is coming off of there's so much like 70s rock and 70s folk and then it's you know moving into this sound and it's hey we've we're in the future now right think even back to the future as movies coming out around this time where there's this sense of like oh my god we've made it we've made it to the the we've made it to the promised land yay it's the future and there's so much of that uh, looking forward futurism to this time. And I think it's interesting that now we have music that's being digitized. So even the sound itself is coming through. And I think, if, you know, music is is setting a mood. It's setting a tone. And, you know, that's a, again, what I was saying last minute, I think it's such an interesting thing for John Carpenter to be such an, an accomplished musician and specifically to be able to to craft tone in this way and also to be able to direct. It just seems like very interesting skill sets to be able to merge together and, and quite unique to him. Yes, absolutely. And as I mentioned, uh, Alan Howarth worked on the soundtrack with him. He worked on production and synthesizers also. And he, he worked with John Carpenter on a lot of his movies as well. A couple of interesting tidbits uh, to this movie specifically. He said that most of the soundtrack was actually improvised. Sometimes Carpenter would come into the office and say, oh, you know, all right, I, I wrote this, you know, at home on my own. But a lot of times he'd just say, all right, you know, write something for this scene. Just do whatever. He hmm. trusted him, you know, to have the feel. And then he told Carpenter he wanted to release the soundtrack on an LP. That's an album for you younger kids or, I don't know, but that's... Uh, <laughs> Music appearing on a vinyl disc for you younger kids. You don't even know what an album is. Um, and Carpenter was like, well, no one's going to listen to it. Who, who would listen to a soundtrack? Carpenter just viewed the score as sort of, you know, one piece of the production used to make a movie. He didn't really see it as something that could stand on its own that you might sit and listen to separately. Uh, so that mm. was very interesting that someone who was creating his own music did not see the value of that music living on its own as its own entity. And then you get dirty dancing and that, and then everything just blows up. (laughs) (laughs) Or the big chill soundtrack. That's really interesting though, that he hadn't considered that. Then uh, keeping with the personnel, uh, here's the really interesting story. So the guy who did the guitar on the soundtrack, his name is Tommy Lee Wallace. He is best known for directing several movies, including Halloween three, Fright Night two, Aloha Summer and the It TV miniseries. He had worked with John Carpenter before on Halloween in the Fog. He would go on to direct some a lot of TV, including Max Headroom and Baywatch. But here is my personal favorite credit of his. He was the voice of the Munchkin singers in the Silver Shamrock commercial in Halloween 3. What? Now... <laughs> For those of you familiar with Halloween 3, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you not familiar with Halloween 3, I'm going to give Brad a rare uh, allowance here, our producer Brad. Uh, Insert uh, in here, Brad, the Halloween 3 Silver Shamrock Five More Days to Halloween song, and then we'll come back from that. Halloween, 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 happy, happy Halloween, 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 Halloween,
It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon, and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it, and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. So there you have that awesome song from Halloween Three. That uh, if you hadn't heard before, now will be stuck in your head till the end of time. Love that song. And That's lastly, crazy. Uh, <laughs> on the uh, uh, team, Pamela Smith, who wrote key- who did keyboards, and I could not find a single thing about her online. After that awesome story of Tommy Lee Wallace, nothing about Pamela Smith. Maybe she turned into Carol Danvers. Just the uh, whole background wiped out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, a long diatribe on the, on the soundtrack. And uh, Molly, I understand you've got lots of info, something else uh, going on in this minute. Yes, this is for my type nerds out there did a little uh, digging about the the titles. And so the titles were created by Pacific Title, and Pacific Title was founded in 1919 by Leon Schlesinger in Burbank, California, to make title cards for silent movies. And Leon began his career as an animation artist for Warner Brothers, uh, but as the talkies, as they were known, became a thing in the 30s, uh, the company moved on to editing, title designing, and post-production work, and it started with the first talking feature, The Jazz Singer. The company also contributed to Gone with the Wind and Ben-Hur. And we're going to fast forward to the 80s, and the company became a full-service digital post-production facility. And by 1991, they entered into digital effects, and they restored and preserved the original Star Wars trilogy and 2001, A Space Odyssey. The typeface that is used for uh, the credits is called Albertus, and it was originally released in 1936. And I have to say, Mr. John Carpenter is a great fan of this typeface as it has been used in Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, They Live, and Escape from L.A. And there is a little anecdote about uh, the uh, folks who were working on titles for Escape from L.A. They were questioned like, hey, did you offer him some other options? And the option was... Yes, we did, but he chose this one still. So the man really, really digs Albertus. <laughs> That's really interesting because, I mean, it's not, you know, like all of his movies are the same kind of movie. I mean, Big Trouble in Little China is, is very different from Christine, is very different from Starman. There certainly would be reason to find different uh, typefaces, but I guess he, uh, he's he got something that works for him personally, and he just figures, you know what, I, I like it, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a signature typeface like it is for Woody Allen, in a sense. And I don't know what yes. he uses for his off the top of my head. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting that he, he has something that he really digs and is using kind of cross-genre with it. But I thought that was kind of fascinating. I think it's interesting. I got into credits when uh, I was on uh, Kevin Minnick cast. And I had never, ever considered what to do with credits before, but started researching that and was like completely just enthralled with the world. Like I could not believe, you know, how much work goes into, you know, creating titles and credits and how much graphic design goes into these. And I mean, you know, now we have like craziness like Deadpool, you know, where the credits are are such a, I mean, it's jokes. I mean, it's an integral part of it. But yeah, I, um, I think it's interesting even that the typeface that's used is like completely old. It's from the 30s. So that's my typeface story. Awesome. Uh, so the next name we see in typeface, once actors end, is we get the director of photography, Dean Cundy. And this guy has had quite a career. He's Oscar nominated. He got Oscar nominated Best Cinematography 
for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but lots of other stuff. He's, he's done a lot of John Carpenter's movies. He did all three of the Back to the Futures, Jurassic Park, Apollo 13, uh, one of those inappropriate HBO movies I used to watch when I was a kid, DC Cab, uh, <laughs> Halloween 2, Halloween 3. So uh, this guy, he's, he's had quite a career. He got a Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Society of Cinematographers, and he even invented something for use on this film, something called the Computerized Light Modulator, which allowed him to mimic the light patterns of fire so they didn't have to rely on actual fire when they were filming the movie. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, and it seems strange that it took until 1980 for something like that to be created. When you consider how many, you know, fires appear in movies, uh, the ratio of movies having fire is much higher than probably the ratio of fires happening in real life. No, it's kind of interesting because there's a real apprenticeship for pyrotechnics guys, too. I say guys because, like, it's all dudes. Mm. <laughs> the whole profession is basically dudes. But I, I had done a little bit of research previously on it, and, and yeah, it's quite uh, it's quite grueling to be able to do that. I'm sure it's it's expensive, and I'm sure there's uh, quite not a whole lot of people who do do it. So I can see how it's advantageous for safety and cost to come up with another technological solution for that. Um, yeah, Dean Cundy had over 100 titles, which I'm like, my God, you know, he is just a prolific dude. I'll, I'll make you have to pronounce his last name again. You want to take the last guy here? Oh, yes, Joe Alves. <laughs> Alves? <laughs> I kind of, I think I'm going to go, I'm being completely rude right now. Alves? Alves? Um, yes, production designer. He is. There's uh, one guy the, we won't bother trying to contact to come on the show. <laughs> I know, Joe's like, you guys are jackasses. Um <laughs> I totally, Joe, if you're still around and alive, I'm totally, I'm just digging myself a hole right now. But if you're still around, totally apologize if I'm butchering your last name. But uh, yes, production production designer Joe Alves is the last name uh, in minute two. He's another Oscar nominated guy, just like Dean Cundy. He was Oscar nominated for best art direction for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, production designer on the first two Jaws movies. Unfortunately, he also had one directing job in his entire career, and it was Jaws 3D. And I think everyone knows that movie is not particularly well thought of. In fact, <laughs> our, our best buddy Joe, who we're just really just not doing a good job to endearing ourselves us at all, he was nominated for a Golden Raspberry uh, for directing Jaws 3D. No, yeah. slightly less illustrious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's got an Oscar nomination and a Golden Raspberry nomination. One of the few probably to enjoy that distinction. His work went back a very long way, though. It was interesting to note that, you know, these movies we're talking about all were from the 80s uh, and or the late 70s. But, I mean, he worked as an illustrator on Forbidden Planet back in the 50s. Oh, wow. Uh, he was an assistant art director on Torn Curtain, which was an Alfred Hitchcock movie. So the guy had a very long successful career in all seriousness he just had that jaws 3d blemish and uh, a name that unfortunately molly and i are, are struggling with <laughs> well i guess there's something to be said for having balance so yes thank you joe thank you for your contributions to jaws 3d we mentioned earlier the name brad and just to, to remind everyone uh, brad mendenhall our producer is there sitting nice and quietly behind the scenes for us uh, running the show for us because we were talking about the theme music today, let's give a shout out to KJ Valencic, who did our intro and outro music. 
And let's also mention, because I realize we have forgot to mention in both our pilot and minute one, let's give the big props to the Star Wars Minute guys, Pete and Alex, who created this whole world that so many of us live in now, the godfathers of the movies by minute field. We thank them for creating this world uh, that we all now take a little piece of and their generosity in letting us all, shall we say, borrow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Podfathers. So if you want to chat with us on social media, join us on uh, Twitter. We are NY Minute Pod. Uh, on Facebook, we like to chat with you in Brain's Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. Be sure to rate and review us and uh, subscribe uh, if you would uh, be so inclined. And remember to be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm.